chapter one of the garys and their friends this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the garys and their friends by frank webb chapter one in which the reader is introduced to a family of peculiar construction it was at the close of an afternoon in may that a party might have been seen gathered around a table covered with all those delicacies that in the household of a rich southern planter are regarded as almost necessaries of life in the centre stood a dish of ripe strawberries their plump red sides peeping through the covering of white sugar that had been plentifully sprinkled over them geechee limes almost drowned in their own rich syrup temptingly displayed their bronze-coloured forms just above the rim of the glass that contained them opposite and as if to divert the gaze from lingering too long over their luscious beauty was a dish of peaches preserved in brandy a never-failing article in a southern matron's catalogues of sweets a silver basket filled with a variety of cakes was in close proximity to a plate of corn flappers which were piled upon it like a mountain and from the brown tops of which trickled tiny rivulets of butter all these dainties mingling their various odours with the aroma of the tea and fine old java that came steaming forth from the richly chased silver pots could not fail to produce a very appetizing effect there was nothing about mr gary the gentleman who sat at the head of the table to attract more than ordinary attention he had the ease of manner usual with persons whose education and associations have been of a highly refined character and his countenance on the whole was pleasing and indicative of habitual good temper opposite to him and presiding at the tea-tray sat a lady of marked beauty the first thing that would have attracted attention on seeing her were her gloriously dark eyes they were not entirely black but of that seemingly changeful hue so often met with in persons of african extraction which deepens and lightens with every varying emotion hers wore a subdued expression that sank into the heart and at once riveted those who saw her her hair of jetty black was arranged in braids and through her light brown complexion the faintest tinge of carmine was visible as she turned to take her little girl from the arms of the servant she displayed a fine profile and perfectly moulded form no wonder that ten years before when she was placed upon the auction block at savannah she had brought so high a price mr gary had paid two thousand dollars for her and was the envy of all the young bucks in the neighbourhood who had competed with him at the sale captivated by her beauty he had esteemed himself fortunate in becoming her purchaser and as time developed the goodness of her heart and her mind 
enlarged through the instructions he assiduously gave her he found the connection that might have been productive of many evils had proved a boon to both for whilst the astonishing progress she made in her education proved her worthy of the pains he took to instruct her she returned threefold the tenderness and affection he lavished upon her the little girl in her arms and the boy at her side showed no trace whatever of african origin the girl had the chestnut hair and blue eyes of her father but the boy had inherited the black hair and dark eyes of his mother the critically learned in such matters knowing his parentage might have imagined they could detect the evidence of his mother's race by the slightly mezzo-tinto expression of his eyes and the rather african fullness of his lips but the casual observer would have passed him by without dreaming that a drop of negro blood coursed through his veins his face was expressive of much intelligence and he now seemed to listen with an earnest interest to the conversation that was going on between his father and a dark-complexioned gentleman who sat beside him and so you say winston that they never suspected you were coloured i don't think they had the remotest idea of such a thing at least if they did they must have conquered their prejudices most effectually for they treated me with the most distinguished consideration old mr priestley was like a father to me and as for his daughter clara and her aunt they were politeness embodied the old gentleman was so much immersed in business that he was unable to bestow much attention upon me so he turned me over to miss clara to be shown the lions we went to the opera the theatre to museums concerts and i can't tell where all the sunday before i left i accompanied her to church and after service as we were coming out she introduced me to miss van cote and her mamma mrs van cote was kind enough to invite me to her grand ball and did you go interrupted mr garry of course i did and what is more as old mr priestley has given up balls he begged me to escort clara and her aunt well winston that is too rich exclaimed mr garry slapping his hand on the table and laughing till he was red in the face too good by jove oh i can't keep that i must write to them and say i forgot to mention in my note of introduction that you were a coloured gentleman the old man will swear till everything turns blue and as for clara what will become of her a fifth avenue belle escorted to church and to balls by a coloured gentleman here mr garry indulged in another burst of laughter so side-shaking and merry that the contagion spread even to the little girl in mrs garry's arms who almost choked herself with the tea her mother was giving her and who had to be hustled and shaken for some time before she could be brought round again it will be a great triumph for me said mr garry the old man prides himself on being able to detect evidences of the least drop of african blood in any one and makes long speeches about the natural antipathy of the anglo-saxon to anything with a drop of negro blood in its veins oh i shall write him a glorious letter expressing my pleasure at his great change of sentiment 
and my admiration of the fearless manner in which he displays his contempt for public opinion how he will stare i fancy i see him now with his hair almost on end with disgust it will do him good it will convince him i hope that a man can be a gentleman even though he has african blood in his veins i have had a series of quarrels with him continued mr Gary. i think he had his eye on me for miss clara and that makes him particularly fierce about my present connection he rather presumes on his former great intimacy with my father and undertakes to lecture me occasionally when opportunity is afforded he was greatly scandalized at my speaking of emily as my wife and seemed to think me cracked because i talked of endeavouring to procure a governess for my children or of sending them abroad to be educated he has a holy horror of everything approaching to amalgamation and of all the men i ever met cherishes the most unchristian prejudice against coloured people he says the existence of a gentleman with african blood in his veins is a moral and physical impossibility and that by no exertion can anything be made of that description of people he is connected with the society for the deportation of free coloured people and thinks they ought to be all sent to africa unless they are willing to become the property of some good master oh yes it is quite a hobby of his here interposed mr winston he makes lengthy speeches on the subject and has published two of them in pamphlet form have you seen them yes he sent them to me i tried to get through one of them but it was too heavy i had to give it up besides i had no patience with them they abounded in misstatements respecting the free coloured people why even here in the slave states in the cities of savannah and charleston they are much better situated than he describes them to be in new york and since they can and do prosper here where they have such tremendous difficulties to encounter i know they cannot be in the condition he paints in a state where they are relieved from many of the oppressions they labour under here and on questioning him on the subject i found he was entirely unacquainted with coloured people profoundly ignorant as to the real facts of their case he had never been within a coloured church or school did not even know that they had a literary society amongst them positively i living down here in georgia knew more about the character and condition of the coloured people of the northern states than he who lived right in the midst of them would you believe that beyond their laundress and a drunken negro that they occasionally employed to do odd jobs for them they were actually unacquainted with any coloured people and how unjust was it for him to form his opinion respecting a class numbering over twenty thousand in his own state from the two individuals i have mentioned and the negro loafers he occasionally saw in the streets it is truly unfortunate rejoined mr winston for he covers his prejudices with such a pretended regard for the coloured people that a person would be the more readily led to believe his statements respecting them to be correct and he is really so positive about it and apparently so deaf to all argument that i did not discuss the subject with him to any extent 
he was so very kind to me that i did not want to run a tilt against his favourite opinions you wrote me he gave you letters to philadelphia was there one amongst them to the mortons yes they were very civil and invited me to a grand dinner they gave to the belgian charge d'affaires i also met there one or two scions of the first families of virginia the belgian minister did not seem to be aware that slavery is a tabooed subject in polite circles and he was continually bringing it forward until slaves slavery and black people in general became the principal topic of conversation relieved by occasional discussion upon some new book or pictures and remarks in praise of the viands before us a very amusing thing occurred during dinner a bright-faced little coloured boy who was assisting at the table seemed to take uncommon interest in the conversation an animated discussion had arisen as to the antiquity of the use of salad one party maintaining that one of the oldest of the english poets had mentioned it in a poem and the other as stoutly denying it at last a reverend gentleman whose remarks respecting the intelligence of the children of ham had been particularly disparaging asserted that nowhere in chaucer spencer nor any of the old english poets could anything relating to it be found at this the little waiter became so excited that he could no longer contain himself and despite the frowns and nods of our hostess exclaimed yes it can it's in chaucer here he continued taking out a book from the bookcase here is the very volume and turning over the leaves he pointed out the passage to the great chagrin of the reverend gentleman and to the amusement of the guests the belgian minister enjoyed it immensely ah said he the child of ham no more than the child of shem dis time whereupon mrs morton rejoined that in this case it was not so wonderful owing to the frequent and intimate relations into which ham and salad were brought and with this joke the subject was dismissed i can't say i was particularly sorry when the company broke up oh george never mind the white people here interposed mrs garry never mind them tell us about the coloured folks they are the ones i take the most interest in we were so delighted with your letters and so glad that you found mrs ellis tell us all about that oh tis a long story em and can't be told in a minute it would take the whole evening to relate it all look at the children my dear they are half asleep said mr garry call nurse and see them safe into bed and when you come back we will have the whole story very well replied she rising and calling the nurse now remember george you are not to begin until i return for i should be quite vexed to lose a word oh go on with the children my dear i'll guarantee he shall not say a word on the subject till you come back with this assurance mrs garry left the room playfully shaking her finger at them as she went out exclaiming not a word remember now not a word after she left them mr garry remarked i've not seen em as happy as she is this afternoon for some time i don't know what has come over her lately she scarcely ever smiles now and yet she used to be the most cheerful creature in the world i wish i knew what is the matter with her sometimes i'm quite distressed about her 
she goes about the house looking so lost and gloomy and does not seem to take the least interest in anything you saw continued he how silent she has been all tea-time and yet she has been more interested in what you have been saying than in anything that has transpired for months well i suppose women will be so sometimes he concluded applying himself to the warm cakes that had just been set upon the table perhaps she is not well suggested mr winston i think she looks a little pale well possibly you may be right but i trust it is only a temporary lowliness of spirits or something of that kind maybe she will get over it in a day or two and with this remark the conversation dropped and the gentlemen proceeded to the demolition of the sweetmeats before them and now my reader whilst they are finishing their meal i will relate to you who mr winston is and how he came to be so familiarly seated at mr gary's table mr winston had been a slave yes that fine-looking gentleman seated near mr gary and losing nothing by the comparison that their proximity would suggest had been fifteen years before sold on the auction block in the neighbouring town of savannah had been made to jump show his teeth shout to test his lungs and had been handled and examined by professed negro traders and amateur buyers with less gentleness and commiseration than every humane man would feel for a horse or an ox now do not doubt me i mean that very gentleman whose polished manners and irreproachable appearance might have led you to suppose him descended from a long line of illustrious ancestors yes he was the offspring of a mulatto field-hand by her master he who was now clothed in fine linen had once rejoiced in a toe-shirt that scarcely covered his nakedness and had sustained life on a peck of corn a week receiving the while kicks and curses from a tyrannical overseer the death of his master had brought him to the auction block from which both he and his mother were sold to separate owners there they took their last embrace of each other the mother tearless but heartbroken the boy with all the wildest manifestations of grief his purchaser was a cotton broker from new orleans a warm-hearted kind old man who took a fancy to the boy's looks and pitied him for his unfortunate separation from his mother after paying for his new purchase he drew him aside and said in a kind tone come my little man stop crying my boys never cry if you behave yourself you shall have fine times with me stop crying now and come with me i'm going to buy you a new suit of clothes i don't want new clothes i want my mammy exclaimed the child with a fresh burst of grief oh dear me said the fussy old gentleman why can't you stop i don't want to hear you cry here continued he fumbling in his pocket here's a picayune will that buy mother back said the child brightening up no no my little man not quite i wish it would i'd purchase the old woman but i can't i'm not able to spare the money then i don't want it cried the boy throwing the money on the ground if it won't buy mammy i don't want it i want my mammy and nothing else at length by much kind language and by the prospect of many fabulous events to occur hereafter invented at the moment by the old gentleman 
the boy was coaxed into a more quiescent state and trudged along in the rear of mr moyes that was the name of his purchaser to be fitted with the new suit of clothes the next morning they started by the stage for augusta george seated on the box with the driver found much to amuse him and the driver's merry chat and great admiration of george's new and gaily bedizened suit went a great way towards reconciling that young gentleman to his new situation in a few days they arrived in new orleans there under the kind care of mr moise he began to exhibit great signs of intelligence the atmosphere into which he was now thrown the kindness of which he was hourly the recipient called into vigor abilities that would have been stifled for ever beneath the blighting influences that surrounded him under his former master the old gentleman had him taught to read and write and his aptness was such as to highly gratify the kind old soul in course of time the temporary absence of an outdoor clerk caused george's services to be required at the office for a few days as errand-boy here he made himself so useful as to induce mr moyes to keep him there permanently after this he went through all the grades from errand-boy up to chief clerk which post he filled to the full satisfaction of his employer his manners and person improved with his circumstances and at the time he occupied the chief clerk's desk no one would have suspected him to be a slave and few who did not know his history would have dreamed that he had a drop of african blood in his veins he was unremitting in his attention to the duties of his station and gained by his assiduity and amiable deportment the highest regard of his employer a week before a certain new year's day mr moyes sat musing over some presents that had just been sent home and which he was on the morrow to distribute amongst his nephews and nieces why bless me he suddenly exclaimed turning them over why i've entirely forgotten george that will never do i must get something for him what shall it be he has a fine watch and i gave him a pin and ring last year i really don't know what will be suitable and he sat for some time rubbing his chin apparently in deep deliberation yes i'll do it he exclaimed starting up i'll do it he has been a faithful fellow and deserves it i'll make him a present of himself now how strange it is i never thought of that before it's just the thing how surprised and delighted he will be and the old gentleman laughed a low gentle happy laugh that had in it so little of selfish pleasure that had you only heard him you must have loved him for it having made up his mind to surprise george in this agreeable manner mr moyes immediately wrote a note which he dispatched to his lawyers messrs ketchum and lee desiring them to make out a set of free papers for his boy george and to have them ready for delivery on the morrow as it was his custom to give his presents two or three days in advance of the coming year the note found mr ketchum deep in a disputed will case upon the decision of which depended the freedom of some half-dozen slaves who had been emancipated by the will of their late master by which piece of posthumous benevolence his heirs had been greatly irritated and were in consequence endeavouring to prove him insane look at that lee said he tossing the note to his partner if that old moise isn't the most curious specimen 
of humanity in all new orleans he is going to give away clear fifteen hundred dollars as a new year's gift to whom asked mr lee he has sent me orders replied mr ketchum to make out a set of free papers for his boy george well i can't say that i see so much in that said lee how can he expect to keep him george is almost as white as you or i and as the manners and appearance of a gentleman he might walk off any day without the least fear of detection very true rejoined ketchum but i don't think he would do it he is very much attached to the old gentleman and no doubt would remain with him as long as the old man lives but i rather think the heiress would have to whistle for him after moise was put underground however concluded mr ketchum they won't have much opportunity to dispute the matter as he will be a free man no doubt before he is forty-eight hours older a day or two after this mr moise entertained all his nephews and nieces at dinner and each was gratified with some appropriate gift the old man sat happily regarding the group that crowded round him their faces beaming with delight the claim for the seat of honour on uncle moise's knee was clamorously disputed and the old gentleman was endeavouring to settle it to the satisfaction of all parties when a servant entered and delivered a portentous-looking document tied with red tape oh the papers now my dears let uncle go gustav let go your hold of my leg for i can't get up amy ring the bell dear this operation mr moise was obliged to lift her into the chair to effect where she remained tugging at the bell-rope until she was lifted out again by the servant who came running in great haste to answer a summons of such unusual vigour tell george i want him said mr moise he's gone down to the office i hearn him say suthin bout de northern mail as he went out but i dunno what it was and as he finished he vanished from the apartment and might soon after have been seen with his mouth in close contact with the drumstick of a turkey mr moise being now released from the children took his way to the office with the portentous red tape document that was to so greatly change the condition of george winston in his coat pocket the old man sat down at his desk smiling as he balanced the papers in his hand at the thought of the happiness he was about to confer on his favourite he was thus engaged when the door opened and george entered bearing some newly arrived orders from european correspondence in reference to which he sought mr moise's instructions i think sir said he modestly that we had better reply at once to ditson and send him the advance he requires as he will not otherwise be able to fill these and as he concluded he laid the papers on the table and stood waiting orders respecting them mr moise laid down the packet and after looking over the papers george had brought in replied i think we had write to him to draw upon us the amount he requires and george she continued looking at him benevolently what would you like for a new year's present anything you please sir was the respectful reply well george resumed mr moise i've made up my mind to make you a present of here he paused and looked steadily at him for a few seconds and then gravely handing him the papers concluded of yourself george now mind and don't throw my present away my boy george stood for some moments looking in a bewildered manner first at his master then at the papers at last the reality of his good fortune broke fully upon him and he sank into a chair and unable to say more than god bless you mr moise burst into tears now you are a pretty fellow said the old man sobbing himself it's nothing to cry about get home as fast as you can you stupid cry-baby 
and mind you are here early in the morning sir for i intend to pay you five hundred dollars a year and i mean you to earn it and thus speaking he bustled out of the room followed by george's repeated god bless you that god bless you played about his ears at night and soothed him to sleep in dreams he saw it written in diamond letters on a golden crown held towards him by hands outstretched from the azure above he fancied the birds sang it to him in his morning walk and that he heard it in the ripple of the little stream that flowed at the foot of his garden so he could afford to smile when his relatives talked about his mistaken generosity and could take refuge in that fervent god bless you six years after this event mr moyes died leaving george a sufficient legacy to enable him to commence business on his own account as soon as he had arranged his affairs he started for his old home to endeavour to gain by personal exertions what he had been unable to learn through the agency of others a knowledge of the fate of his mother he ascertained that she had been sold and resold and had finally died in new orleans not more than three miles from where he had been living he had not even the melancholy satisfaction of finding her grave during his search for his mother he had become acquainted with emily the wife of mr gary and discovered that she was his cousin and to this was owing the familiar footing on which we find him in the household where we first introduced him to our readers mr winston had just returned from a tour through the northern states where he had been in search of a place in which to establish himself in business the introductions with which mr gary had kindly favoured him had enabled him to see enough of northern society to convince him that amongst the whites he could not form either social or business connections should his identity with the african race be discovered and whilst on the other hand he would have found sufficiently refined associations amongst the people of colour to satisfy his social wants he felt that he could not bear the isolation and contumely to which they were subjected he therefore decided on leaving the united states and on going to some country where if he must struggle for success in life he might do it without the additional embarrassments that would be thrown in his way in his native land solely because he belonged to an oppressed race End of chapter one